0: Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day. We're uh, a little ways into spring training here, finally. Uh, We've we've seen some pretty interesting action in the early going. We always uh, put out the disclaimer that everyone puts out, not to take too much out of spring training, especially the early part. But um, seeing Willie Castro hit a couple home runs already has been fun. Got a little look at Casey Mize today, which um, went okay. Um, Akil Badu, the Tigers rule five pick has, um, done a little bit to impress so far, which was nice. Cause we're not too familiar with him, but, uh, we have a very good guest to talk about all this with, um, David Lorela from Fangraphs. Um, you'll have heard David, uh, Fangraphs audio. He's written for baseball, America, baseball prospectus. He's written books. He's done just about it all. Um, and you know, currently, and you know, since I uh, have been familiar with you, David, um, probably the best reporter out there as far as interviewing players, coaches, um, kind of really getting into the nuts
1: and bolts of how the game is taught and played. Um, so we're happy to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Uh, great to be on and feel free to compliment me as much as you want. I love your name. And this time I actually got it right the first time. <laughs> I want to say, right. yeah, I, uh, I want to say Laurel. Oh, people, yeah, no, Laurel is right. People get it wrong all the time, but that means I'm, uh, it, I guess it means I'm not famous, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, at least not in the audio realm, yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> we all have these problems with, uh, yeah, trying to trying to go back and forth between the written word and the, the spoken word. Um, so how how things been going for you lately? Um, you survived this past year okay, which is great to hear.
1: <laughs> uh, I have somehow survived it. It's nice that we're at, the, I think we're near the end of the tunnel or around the corner. I'm not quite sure what the phrase I, I'm looking for is. Yeah, we're, we're getting closer to normal.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think that's the case. Much like the the Tigers rebuild, um, we're we're not in the downturn
1: anymore. At least I can I can see how this is going to play out. I think so. <laughs> well, yeah, point. I certainly hope the pandemic is over before the Tigers are a championship caliber club.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm afraid we still have a little ways to go. Um, so you know, just kind of taking a quick look over the the off season, uh, What you know, what was your general impression? Um, you know, uh, this offseason compared to. You know some of the free agent signings and deals that the Tigers have offered
1: over, say, the first um, three years of the the teardown process. Well, I mean, the Tigers haven't done a lot, but I don't think any of us expected them to do a lot. And frankly, they probably shouldn't have done a lot because they're going to win eventually with the young players, and the young players need to play this year as much as possible. There will be the best of the young players, at least on the position player side, I guess, probably aren't coming for another year or two, with the exception maybe of uh, Isaac Paredes, I guess, is, is here. Uh, but signing, you know, spending money on free agents probably wouldn't, wasn't the way to go. You know, adding small with guys like Scope and Grossman, I think probably made sense. But they're not going to be a part of the core when this team is good. I would have liked to have seen
0: them, you know, done a little bit more just because I felt like coming into this offseason with a lot of teams looking to shed payroll. I was hoping there'd be some opportunities out there to, you know, hunt for a trade or maybe land a free agent on a little bit longer term deal for a better price than maybe they would have expected. Um, We didn't really see that many like huge deals uh, or um, I guess huge discounts is a better way to phrase it offered by um, by players. But um, and I had to nag the Tigers about Trevor Story because he seems to be sitting there available. But, um, but overall, yeah, I thought they maybe um, they picked a few guys this time that I thought had a little bit more upside. Like there's a a couple of younger guys, like Nomar Mazzara and Renato Nunez, Um, you know, Julio Urania is still a little bit on the young side, still throws hard. So it just felt like um, at least these deals had a little bit more upside. Whereas the past couple of years, it was a lot of, you know, Ivan Nova and Cameron Maben, you know, the, the type of guys who are just there to sort of
1: as, as pure filler without much upside. And Mazzara is, of course, it's you know, he's a fascinating player for so many people as young as he is, have been predicting him to be a breakout player now for two or three years. And he has not done it yet. Will he possibly do it in in Detroit? It's I think that's one of the best questions of the year, because, you know, he has hit 20 home runs a few times. uh, And if he breaks out and turns that into 30 plus, which is certainly possible. Hey, that's, you know, he will be the best hitter uh, on this Tigers team, I think. Yeah,
0: he's, um, I mean, we know he's got huge raw power. Um, he's not necessarily like a, a huge swing and miss guy for someone with that much power either. He just, just one of those guys that doesn't seem to lift the ball very often, um, you know, based on approach and, and swing playing issues, maybe some, some things along those lines. We've seen like Abisayel Garcia, um, Yandy Diaz is kind of a, a famous culprit um, along that, that type of hitter. But yeah, I agree. There's, um, you know, at least there's upside and this kind of leads us into the Tigers new coaching staff and, and trying to provide some of the, you know, the new coaches a little bit more, maybe raw material to, to work with and show what they can do. Um, how did you, um, how did you feel about the hiring of AJ Hinch? I assume like most of us, you were, you were pretty happy to land him. <laughs>
1: Oh, I think it it was fantastic. I mean, happy is a relative term. I am not by definition a, a Tigers fan, uh, and, but be, before we get to Hinch, we can maybe stand Mazzara for just another moment, oh, because sure. because I was on uh, the Zoom call today that that Hinch did, uh, you know, pregame, and I asked about Mazzara, and he he happened to mention that Scott Coolbaugh, the new hitting coach, was with Mazara in Chicago last year, which I think I had forgotten. Uh, I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, AJ said it you know, as though it were a good thing that they can continue the work that they were doing. But obviously, Mazara hit a ton of balls on the ground again last year, which is not what, what they need. So whether or not that change is going to happen, again, is the question. I asked uh, Hinch how much patience that they can have on a change like that if he comes out of spring training, still not really hitting the ball in the air early in the year, he's not hitting the ball in the air. And AJ did say, it's not really a matter of necessarily fly balls. It's just not ground balls hitting more line drives, which with his power will carry into gaps. Uh, And he couldn't really answer that question. He said a lot is going to depend along with what they see on what the other outfielders do. Uh, In other words, he has to earn playing time. Yeah. So, uh, if Mazzara has a lousy spring, he may not even be on the big league roster. If the Tigers only carry four outfielders uh, on opening day, that's I'm. That's not uh, Hinch saying that. That's me theorizing that if he gets outplayed in the spring, he may not have a job.
0: Yeah, I you know I I look at what the Tigers have in the outfield and it and it feels like there's going to be playing time for him even if he if even if he struggles like at least enough to. You know, at least enough to carry him over. You know, for a couple months. You know, like they'd want to give him that that much time to to take a look. Um, but yeah, you know, if Victor Reyes is, is swinging the bat well, obviously Jacoby Jones and, and Robbie Grossman probably have have a spot pretty well locked down. And then yeah, then there is Akil Badu, who you know probably sh- should be in Double A this year, um, but but is at least you know going to be fighting for for his job and and to stay on the major league roster all year.
1: Well, exactly. And, and look at what happened with Reyes. You know, they stuck it out with Reyes, and it looks like he may be a player. Right now, I think Reyes and Badu maybe are very similar players. Uh, do you have room for both, especially if neither one is going to be uh, an above average you know, big league player at this point? So yeah. There are a lot of hard questions in the spring for, you know, for AJ to work through. I should probably not call him AJ. I should probably be saying Hinch, <laughs> Mr. Hinch. Yeah, Hinch, yes, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It's um, you know, there, there's a lot of changes. Obviously, like they you know, they're a new coaching staff. They're coming in here, you know, trying to learn the, you know, the way the Tigers do things and and the players, um, and, and all that sort of thing. But there are, you know, just like any other spring, some tough roster decisions are gonna that are gonna come right up. Um, you know, but do you know, I I would think you know that having kept Reyes all year, that the twins would recognize that the Tigers are willing to call their bluff and and hopefully would just accept a small, small prospect um, in order to let us, you know, acquire his full rights and and hang on to him because he is young. Um, you know, he, he hasn't really played since 2019, had Tommy John surgery, really shouldn't be at this level. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would like to see that that work out. Um, as far as him
1: getting much playing time this year, yeah, it it, it does seem somewhat doubtful too, but Right, and with young outfielders in Minnesota uh, like Kirilov and Larnick, uh, who I guess are fringe major leaguers at this point, they're not proven. It, it's real. They don't really need in a in a Badu in their system so much.
0: Yeah. Whereas the Tigers, when you get past you know Riley Green, there's there's not really a whole lot of in the way of outfielders there. A few guys with some potential, Daniel Cabrera and Parker Meadows, but um, Das Cameron hasn't really come on and. Yeah, there's not a, not a whole lot in the upper levels of the system. What did you uh, What did you think of the Robbie Grossman signing in general? He's a guy who, you know, seems to have kind of rounded his game into better shape as he's got into his 30s. A little better defender. Um, did you like that signing for him?
1: Well, I did. Sure, he's he's a very solid player. He's not a great player, and I believe is he 30? Is he 31? Yeah, or so, 32. So, yeah. Sure. So again, he's probably. If he is there when the Tigers are good, I think that what that means is that the Tigers are good sooner than we think, because I think it's a few years away. But sure, Grossman is a solid regular player. He's just simply not, again, part of the future. And I don't mean to diss Robbie Grossman, but he's not the type of player that I'm excited about. If he plays, if he, has, if he matches his career year, and he's had a couple of solid years, what difference will it make in, uh, in the Tigers' win total? Yeah. You know, will, will they win 82 instead of 79? If that's the case, it doesn't really mean that much. Now, if he does that, it's scope has, and, uh, you know, Mazzara will step up and hit 25 home runs, which is very possible. Uh, and I guess I should add more than the 25 home runs. have a WRC plus that is well up, you know, in the positives. Yeah. you know, This team could theoretically not be out of it by uh boy by (laughs) August if if the pitching comes through yeah you know this team has potential it's just it's hard to get a feel on even how good you want them to be as opposed to hope they could be if that makes sense
0: yeah because you don't it doesn't really do the Tigers a whole lot of good this year to to win yeah 78 to 82 games necessarily um you'd, you'd like to see robbie grossman you know hit the heck out of the ball for three or four months and then actually be able to to trade him for a little something maybe um instead yeah something along those lines but yeah you know i i look at um you know the two kind of key guys to me are willie castro and jamer candelario who both you know had really good 2020s but you know that was essentially like five weeks you know where they where they were hot um and it's really hard to know if they'll carry it over like both of them had Pretty, you know, some potential, at least neither one of them was a, a high end prospect necessarily, but both good prospects and, um, you know, guys that you would like to see come through. And if they do, you know, then you can see a little bit more of a foundation in the, the top of the order where they could, you know, at least be a, a respectable offense and give the, the young pitching and the depth in the pitching staff, you know, the chance to kind of help them out. For sure. And
1: last year, if you really have to take everything with a grain of salt, the, the good and the bad. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Julio Tehran a little while ago. Uh, I'm not looking at his numbers as we speak, but I would be surprised if he didn't have an ERA of like eight or nine. He was terrible. Yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> but but a few years ago, he was a uh, he was a solid pitcher. Uh, so if his arm is in decent shape, uh, and apparently it is, you know, maybe he he is a you know a solid average starter this year. So you know, does last year matter? Sure. But does it matter? Not at all. (laughs) Yep. It
0: doesn't matter now. Yep. Every year is a new start. Um, Yeah. You know, I mean, Tehran also kind of fits a little bit with the, the, the new coaching staff as does, um, you know, Jose Urania Um, you know, both of them, like in in Tehran's case, he's a guy who seems to have a lot of seam shifted wake movement. Um, That's, that's the hot topic of, of the off season, as far as pitching goes. And then you have, um, Irania who pitched under, um, Nieves, who is the Tigers assistant pitching coach now, um, when he was with the Marlins. So you have like, you have some ties where you start to see like what the coaching staff was thinking and perhaps maybe some of their, their influence into what the, the Tigers front office did this off season, um, which, which seems to, you know, show a little bit of synergy there already between them. And the coaching
1: staff, I think, is great. I love the hires. I love the Federer's hire, certainly. Yeah. I actually think uh, a hire that's not really getting much attention is Juan Nevis as the second pitching coach. He doesn't, you know, he's not the hot, hot new thing. Yeah. But but he's a smart, experienced pitching coach. And a voice like that is going to be invaluable.
0: Yeah, he's been, he's been a major league pitching coach before. Um, obviously, Feder doesn't have that kind of experience at the, at the major league level. So, yeah, you would hope, you know, Nieves kind of backs him and, and
1: kind of offers a little bit of extra credibility there. No, for sure. And, uh, you know, I want to throw a, a question to you, actually, Brandon, on the pitching staff, because you have a far better feel of the Tigers fan base than I do, and that is if players like Urania and Tehran – are in the starting rotation and Boyd, uh, you know, if guys like that are there and people like Scooble and Mize are not, will that be a big disappointment?
0: Yes. I, I, I really think it will. Um, You know, just the fact that they got to see Scooble and Mize last year, you know, I think people are looking at the fact that a lot of the prospect pitchers are probably going to be held to, you know, maybe a hundred innings, you know, maybe a little bit more than that, but um, but the Tigers, you know, guys, Mize and, Scooble and Manning haven't really gone over a hundred innings much before um, already. So they're going to be careful with them. And I think, you know, people are are looking at that. Like, we don't want to see those, you know, those hundred innings spent in the, in the minor leagues when, you know, these are the guys that the Tigers are, you know, kind of theoretically selling you on as, as the future. And you can kind of get away with selling them as the future, maybe this, this year without really turning it over to them um, to some degree. But yeah. You know, if by next year comes and and no, none of those guys have established themselves and it's still looking like, are they, you know, are they going to in the mix for a, a starting spot out of camp or, you know, are they still going to have to show something in the minor leagues? Yeah. I mean, I think that's that kind of thing would really put a damper on people's spirits around here for sure.
1: Right. And I believe the minor league, the AAA season is being pushed back. I think I saw that shortly before we began speaking. Yeah. So that's. You know, that's another another thing. If they decide that either Mize or Scooble and Manning, I know, has said that his his goal is to make the team out of spring training. If those guys are, don't seem ready, if they're being outpitched by some of the veteran guys, they don't have game action, which is which will be very problematic.
0: Yeah, they kind of go after, you know, kind of sit on the bench and go through a whole second camp before they actually yeah, get back to game action. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly i mean they will have alternate camp to throw at but i would think that a lot of tiger fans thinking about the future if they're not watching manning and and scoobal and and mize they don't necessarily want to root against some of the veteran new veteran guys doing well that's sacrilege to root against guys on your own team but on the other hand do you want them to win the job if if the virus situation, you know, the vaccine gets better and there are a lot of fans in, uh, in Camerica in, in May, I guess there will be some in April, but if you're going to the park, do you want to see uh Jose Arrhenia pitch or uh, on your day that you have tickets, do you want to see Casey Mize? I yeah. think that's a no brainer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it, I, that kind of speaks to a problem that every team is going to go through as far as like managing their pitching staff this year, which is, you know, you'd like to save the Tigers young guys, the prospects for later in the year, um, you know, in the hope that, you know, Chris Fetter maybe has some success with, you know, tweaking Tehran stuff. Um, He has a good start, you know, you know, those, those sorts of things, like maybe Matt Boyd comes back and you deal that guy and then you you need arms late in the year. And that's when you would assume you would bring up the kids, but if they've already, you know, if they've already kind of, shot what they've got to offer this year in the minor leagues you can kind of be in a weird situation late in the season not that it necessarily matters I mean the Tigers record isn't going to matter what the Tigers do in September isn't really going to matter very much but um, but managing the the pitching staff here is is going to be strange and the Tigers added a lot of guys they've still got um, a couple guys on minor league deals that they want to look at like Derek Holland Erasmo Ramirez um, guys who aren't going to have a big impact you know but might be you know kind of long men in the bullpen something along those lines um but yeah they've, they've added a lot of a lot of pitching depth here and figuring out how to actually deploy it. it seems like it's going to be uniquely tricky this year for sure yeah are you on the alex lang bandwagon yet i am eh, i mean i'm not really on the alex lang, lang bandwagon i still don't see him as a guy who looks like he's going to throw enough strikes to me but judging command you know i'm not a scout um <laughs> command is the hardest thing to tell i like his stuff um, you know, he and Zach Hess and, and Jason Foley, all three of those guys, um, you know, they have major league caliber caliber pitches. And if one of them can kind of put it together, um, yeah, I could see any
1: one of the three being, uh, you know, somewhat of an impactful reliever this year. Yeah. There is a little buzz with Lang. It seems uh, yeah. Eric, Lo- Eric Long who of course does our prospect stuff at FanGraphs, uh, is pretty hot on him at the moment. Oh, that's good to know.
0: Cause I really like Eric's work and, uh, and trust what Eric has to say. <laughs> so that's good to hear.
1: No, he likes where, where the velo is right now. You know, he likes the raw stuff. I, I haven't talked to him in depth. I just threw the name by him recently, and he said, uh, really like what I see.
0: Yeah, back in um, in the instructional league in the fall, he was up a little bit. Um, and even last spring, he was up like a tick or two more than when the Cubs had him as a starter. So it seems to be working out, you know, the conversion to relief. He seems to be finding a little extra velo, and he's got, a, he's got one good breaking ball. Um, He's got a plus slider and, um, you know,
1: that, that combined is enough. So yeah, he's a guy Uh, who could help out. Well, yes. In his eyes, it's a plus curveball. I know it has slider characteristics, but uh, I know that uh, Lang considers it a curveball because of the spin axis.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's becoming trickier and trickier to judge these things. Like,
0: do I go by grip or do you go by what it looks like? Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I see a lot of pitchers out there even struggling to sort of describe what they're, what they're throwing now that they're looking at it through high speed cameras and um, dissecting it down to the the minutiae of the spin on it.
1: Sure. I mean, what, what is it, if a pitcher says it's X and the data shows it's Y, which, which is it? I don't think there's a correct answer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You kind of just have to keep, keep both in mind and maybe just describe the the pitch characteristics. You know, maybe that just forces us off of um you know, easy categorizations, um, which is probably wise the way things are going these days.
1: Right. Well, Corey Kluber has famously uh, never wanted to uh, say he throws a curveball or a slider. To him, it's just his breaking pitch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he does look like he throws it like a curveball, but then it does have that slurvy, you know, horizontal tilt to it as well. So he's going to be an interesting guy to watch this year. I'm curious what happens to Corey Kluber.
1: Uh, there are a lot of people that are interesting to watch this year. Yeah. And the fun thing is we're going to knock on wood, watch a lot of them for 162 games. Yeah, uh, it feels great. I, You know, one of the, the the first things
0: I've noticed about a lot of the interviews with players um, the last couple of days is just them, um, you know, just having so much relief and appreciation for the fact that there are fans back there. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know what it must have been like for them to, to play in empty stadiums, but it felt weird to all of us. It sounded weird. It looked weird. Um, so it's got to feel like uh, a nice return to normalcy to some degree for those guys, even though they're still you know masking and trying to
1: distance and, and managing the COVID as best they can. Well, they are masking, but based on uh, what I've been seeing in Florida on uh, MLB TV the last few days looking at crowd shots, yeah the number of people not masking really stands out. yeah and and the more that you see of that, the more that you realize, hey, we could get a COVID outbreak on any of the big league teams there or the same in Arizona. So I think we still, you know, the the corner we mentioned at at the onset here, you know, we have not turned it yet.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, um, President Biden just invoked the Defense Authorization Act, I believe, today to try to start cranking it out um, even faster with the goal of having everyone, you know, having a shot available by the end of May. Um, And you would assume that, you know, the players themselves hopefully would sometime, you know, by by April Um, i'll have a shot but yeah there's just there's just so many things you know that that go into it and you can't control the fans um i you know in retrospect i'm still a little bit kind of baffled that the whole thing worked out um in 2020 because there there was a a couple weeks there earlier in the season when it kind of looked
1: like the whole thing was going to crumble at any moment for sure and here in march uh of 2021 even talking about it just sounds like, oh, my God, you know, we're aren't we not tired of hearing about it, talking about it, but it's still there. So I, I don't think that that we can just just avoid it.
0: Yeah, we're all tired of it. You know, that's that's just standard. But we've still got to still got to be vigilant here and, uh, and push through. That's for sure. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, the A.J. Hinch quote um, issue as far as you know him getting in, I guess, you know, not real hot, hot water, but just a little hot water for. Um, Some comments about base running he made um, and just kind of what that what that says about the care that that has to be, you know, put into quotes sometimes in the way managers have to speak. um, You know, when everything can be so dissected now on social media, there's so many people in A.J. Hinch's case in particular who just don't like A.J. Hinch anymore um, for some, you know, understandable reasons. Um, Can you kind of talk about how that all went down just a little bit? Right. Well,
1: when when you're talking about uh, hot water, I think I may have used the word because this was in uh, my my Sunday notes column. And I led with this. I think I used fufura, which is a very underused word. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if it actually went any farther in the media or anywhere else than than me tweeting a quote. And of course, this is hinged just off the cuff, making a comment with to about ten ten or twelve people on Zoom. He basically said he wants the team to be aggressive and uh, he suggested that getting thrown out on the base pass isn't necessarily a terrible thing that you need to be aggressive. You need to push the envelope. And with this team, I think that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. They're not, they're not going to hit a ton of home runs. Uh, I think they need to be, they need to run. They need to take chances. And uh, I think he's completely, completely right. The people who push back on, on my tweet, and I probably only have I don't know, a handful of 1,000, 4,000 followers, which you know for a, a baseball writer is actually peanuts. But sure, people push back. They thought that A.J. Hinch doesn't understand the value of an out, which, <laughs> which is ludicrous. You know, A.J. Hinch <laughs> is, is one of the smartest, most analytically savvy managers in baseball, hands down. I, I don't think anybody can doubt that yeah i agree people on twitter like to be people on twitter and we know exactly what that's like yeah
0: yeah for sure yeah and it, i mean just intuitively it makes sense like you can't you can't learn how to do something by doing it you know carefully necessarily like you've got to push it like any child you've, you know you've got to test the boundaries a little bit to see what you can get away with and what you can't stealing bases and yeah again you know the tiger's record isn't going to matter that much so
1: you know, this is all, this is all just a learning experience. <laughs> right. Right. And of course, part of it, Brandon, is the fact that it is so hard to string together three singles in today's game Yeah, with, with all the strikeouts, which is why power is so important. So if, uh, if you're not going to try to take that extra base, try to go, you know, for, you know, first to second on a steal, first to third on a ball into the gap. Uh, you know, if you go station to station and stop at second, your chances of scoring, actually go down a fair amount yeah. compared to the quote unquote, the older days. And I'm saying that without data to back it up, but intuitively it makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've, not only do you have the strikeouts, but yeah, you, you have the shift and you know, those ground balls that you used to pull through the hole just to just don't uh, turn into hits very often anymore or not
1: as often. That's for sure. Right. right. So I, so I think that the tigers probably should run. I think it, by pure chance, I had a speed related uh lead to my Sunday notes column a week prior, uh talking to uh the Pittsburgh Pirates manager, Derek Shelton, about that, about his team not running a lot. And he said I, I mentioned something about uh the 1980s Cardinals that they would run when they were behind in games, which teams are now very careful. Yeah. Uh, behind it. Uh and Shelton said that if he had uh I you know what the name names he rattled off you know, Ozzy Smith, uh, you know, Vince Coleman, et cetera. If he had those guys, he would run <laughs> a lot and, and Hinch is sort of in the same boat. It's, uh, uh you know, Ronnie floor is not on this baseball team.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they've got, they've got some guys who can run and they are younger, but it's still, um, it's still not a team yeah, stacked with burners. Um, you know, Jacoby Jones might be, might be the fastest guy in the, uh, in the regular lineup and he's, you know, probably above average speed, but not, not even plus, I wouldn't say so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you been surprised? I don't, I don't know if this is your impression, I guess, so I should start, start here, but um, I haven't really heard that much outrage about AJ Hinch, um, you know, getting the job and and getting back into baseball um, other than, you know, briefly when, when the Tigers announced his, his hiring. And I feel like I'm still waiting for the, for the backlash to come. And I'm, I'm not really hearing it. Um, you know, there was a reporter who, asked, I think a, a New York area reporter when the Tigers played the Yankees yesterday, who asked AJ Hinch on the, the post game Zoom, you know, did you hear anything from the stands? You know, did, you know, did Aaron Boone say anything to you? So you can see like there, there's a, an urge to sort of pick at the scab here a little bit, but, um, but by and large, I, I guess it just says something about AJ Hinch's, you know, everything else about AJ Hinch other than the sign stealing scandal that, you know, George Lombard, you know, a a highly regarded coach who, you know, was potentially victimized by the Astros, um, sign stealing scandal is now on the, is now on the staff and, um, and everywhere he goes, you know, AJ Hinch still seems to be, you know, very well-liked and very well-respected everywhere. Um, and I, I guess I've been waiting for the other
1: shoe to drop and it doesn't really feel like that's coming. Right. Well, that was, uh, Marley Rivera. I know who, who asked the question, uh, you know, she is ESPN, Uh, but out of the New York market. It's the type of question that is expected to be asked with the Tigers playing the Yankees. Sure, Uh, uh, I'm sure A.J. is getting tired of the questions when they do pop up, you know, for good reason, but he's very professional and contrite when he answers them. The same with Alex Cora. You know, I'm sitting in Boston, you know, speaking to you, Mm -hmm. Cambridge technically. Yep, fair Cambridge. Uh, Yep. I'm in the People's Republic of Cambridge. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Alex Cora is the same way, you know, very professional, very contrite and also a brilliant manager. He will get, I think, a ton of pushback once the season starts and they go to New York, for instance. Sure. You know, there will probably be chance. You figure if Pedro Martinez got who's your daddy, (laughs) they'll they'll come up with something for, for Cora. But they just have to live with it. Uh, I hope that we don't see a lot. I hope that we don't see a lot with the Astros this year. You know, it's old news at this point. Yeah. But some of the Twitter being Twitter people are also go to ballparks and and drink beer. There's Nothing wrong with drinking beer. Don't get me <laughs> wrong there. Uh, but they're going to yell. They're going to say nasty, stupid things, and uh, you know we'll we'll carry on. Yep.
0: Yep. Nothing. Nothing else they can they can really do. Um, I, it's just hard for me to put it in the, in the back of my head entirely, because, you know, I mean, we're talking about, you know, maybe Willie Castro make this, makes this work defensively at shortstop, but, um, but the Tigers don't really have a, a lock future shortstop, you know, quite yet. And there's been a lot of talk about the, um, you know, the big free agent market, there's going to be six of the the top shortstops in baseball, um, barring any extensions in the next, you know, couple months are all going to hit free agency. And, you know, there's, there's. There seems to be some thought out there that the, the Tigers would like to reunite, um, you know, Carlos Correa with A.J. Hinch. And, you know, those those kinds of, of hints and rumors really, um, I mean, I like Carlos Correa as a player. Carlos Correa is a, a, a fine player. Seems like a, a nice, personable young man, but I don't necessarily want to, to lean into this whole thing. <laughs> so I do have that in the back
1: of my head a little bit. I think it's maybe far-fetched to think that he would want to come to Detroit. Probably, yeah. Oh. Uh, you know, I don't want to want to diss Detroit. You know, I, you know, I used to live there. I, I like Detroit quite a lot, but it will not be maybe the most desirable place. Um, I happened to be on a, a Padres Zoom today with uh, that and P- Profar was on. And it came up that one of the teams that uh, was interested in him were, were the Red Sox. So I asked him flat out, did you get a good offer from the Red Sox. And the answer is yes. He said it was a very good offer, but he wanted to re-sign with the Padres if possible. Yeah. So it really it, it comes down to the player. You know, you floated the idea early that, well, maybe the Tigers could trade for Trevor Story, which I think is even more far-fetched because the uh they would riot in Colorado if they traded Arenado and Story in the same offseason. <laughs> but if you're talking free agents, players want to have to go there. And the amount that the Tigers would have to pay to get elite free agents like Correa is probably more than they're going to want to or should should afford. That said, if Carlos Correa goes to Detroit, he will be their first superstar that they've had since Miggy was still Miggy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, despite the fact that, you know, Carlos Correa has, you know, I think really only had one. One really great season. Um, but a lot of that's due to injury, of course. But um, but yeah, that's I guess maybe that's another factor for for Correa is that if he if he doesn't have a huge year this year, people are gonna look at that track record and he's probably not going to be in in the same monetary category as Francisco Lindor, for example, or or maybe Seeger or I don't know, maybe Javi Baez as well, or Trevor Story. Um it's hard to it's hard to tell. I'm not really sure how. They'll evaluate Correa if he doesn't come
1: up with a, a big year pre-free pre, pre free agency here. Well, I think he's a step or two ahead of, of Javi Baez. Javi Baez is a f- very, very fun player. I don't think he's quite up to the level of the other guys you mentioned. I
0: tend to agree. Um, but again, it's it's just that injury thing with Correa where, you know, you just you don't know what you're going to get. You know how good the talent is. Um, but as far as delivering on it, it hasn't always been there. So,
1: yeah. Right, and we don't know what the Tigers are going to get from Miguel Cabrera this year either. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> not as much as we'd like. I guess I guess we know that much. It would be wonderful if he had had a killer year. Yeah. It would it would not be unprecedented. You know, there have been players who it looked like, well, they're well past their prime, they're done, they're going to limp to the finish line and bang, there was another big year. Yeah. You know, Miggy could do that.
0: Yep. I mean, yeah, I've seen some examples like Frank Thomas and, you know, um, even Nelson Cruz, you know, like for a year or two was kind of, you know, fading into just being a, a pretty good hitter. And then he just seemed to, you know, just kick it right back into gear and has just been a monster ever since
1: for the last four or five years again. Oh, if Nelson Cruz would have started this run just a few years earlier, uh, he would be on track for the hall of fame.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think about Adrian Beltry that way too. Like if, if he had just kind of like turned on turned on that last gear you know, a couple seasons sooner, he might get more consideration. Maybe he will oh, anyway. I'm not sure. Oh, come on.
1: No, Beltre is going in the Hall of Fame.
0: Are you convinced? Oh, that's well, that's good. I, I'm <laughs> I'm ve-
1: I'm very convinced. OK, that's good. I don't know what to think about the Hall of Fame anymore, David. <laughs> so I'm not sure. No, I, none of us do. Um, I have a vote. I had my first this year and uh, a lot of people have been complaining about it. Writers saying, I wish I didn't have a vote. There's so much, you know, BS going on. Yeah. And I agree. But it's, uh, you know, it, it's still it's good to have to deal with that BS.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, th- there is a lot of complaining about cancel culture, but um, a lot of it just seems like, you know, people being critical and mad online, just like they always are. You know, it's, it's just a part of just a part of the game. Um, it's more more amplified these days, I suppose. But, you know, you're, you're going to take criticism no matter what you do in, in a Hall of Fame vote
1: generally. So that's just the way it goes no you're going to take criticism for uh pretty much anything yeah <laughs> anything people are life. going to people are going to criticize uh what I'm saying on this podcast and probably what you're saying yeah, this is a good and, lesson
0: for all the young people out there <laughs> you're going to be criticized your entire life, and you, you might as well you know stop worrying about it very much
1: <laughs> yeah, so well, w- what haven't we covered, Brandon? There's so much to talk about with the tigers yeah you know well i don't I don't know if we want to get into the bullpen.
0: I guess what I'd like to talk about is um you know, what the potential impact of, you know, Casey Myers, Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal could be because, you know, it's not that often that, that teams have three pitching prospects who are this highly regarded together, but it's, you know, but, it, but it goes on, you know, obviously the Mets were very stacked just a few years ago. Um, there've been a couple other teams that have put together these huge young rotations. Um, what do you think about, you know, j- just sort of like the odds, like the odds that all three of them, you know, work out and are at least, above average major league starters?
1: Boy, that's a good question. Uh, the odds are not good. Certainly. Yeah. Historically, uh, Chris Fetter, I think helps their chances, although he's not a magician. Uh, I would think that if I had to make a prediction, I would say that two will be above average pitchers in the big leagues, assuming health for a good many years. Uh, which the two are, I probably don't want to venture a guess. Yeah. It's hard I, I don't think that that would be reasonable, in part because I would likely be wrong and get criticized on social media <laughs> <laughs> for years. Yeah, forever. Yeah. Assuming social media still exists in a few years, that's another thing that uh, we assume will, but things change a lot.
0: Yeah, for, for all of us old enough to remember the the before times, you know, I, I can guarantee everyone we could survive without it. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, probably. Maybe even without TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> we can't lose TikTok, though, you know, I mean, there's the entertainment value alone. Yeah, I, I guess, um, you know, you've done a lot of, you talked to Casey Mize this off in, in particular, um, you know, and Casey Mize is a very cerebral young pitcher, um, you know, very well versed in, in using data to, to help tweak his stuff. Um, you know, what were your, are your impressions of, of Casey Mize and, and maybe more in general, like how are, how are pitchers coping with, you know, all this information? Because even like the seam shifted weight, you know, stuff, which I've written a good bit about this off season, Like it's, it's already, you know, it's just hard to know, like whether or not you should lean into that, you know, that paradigm or, you know, the spin efficiency paradigm, you know, and and maybe there is crossover there, but it feels like there's all these different ways you could go now. And it offers a lot of different opportunities, but it also feels like it could be very overwhelming to pitchers and, and possibly counterproductive to some of them.
1: Well, I think Brandon, it's counterproductive if you hear terms like spin efficiency or see them shifted wake, and suddenly you know you're back in uh, sixth grade and there's an algebra problem in front of you that you're not <laughs> ready. You're not ready for algebra yet. But if you look at it practically, like players like Scooble and I certainly do, they're looking at it fairly simplistically. You know, spin efficiency is not complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a matter of how accurate your ball is, is, how true it is, you know, how true it's spinning. Yep. Things like that are common sense. And that's where a Juan DeAvis maybe can send a message in slightly different language than a Chris Fetter, you know, to the players who don't really want, you know, who want to hear it in a, in a simpler way. Yeah. Yeah. because and, and there's, there are also, I was going to say, there are also issues like, uh, you know, spin alone, raw spin, does not make for a great fastball or, or a great breaking ball. You know, there's far more nuance to it than just that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, that, and that just in, you know, the, the pitch itself, before we even get to command and, and setting up hitters
1: and all the, all the different uh, elements that go into it, of course. But, um, I mean, like right. some, Casey, Casey, Casey Mize does not spin a, a baseball, you know, at an elite level. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, he may be uh, below average. Yep, that, does not, that, that does not mean that his pitches are not effective.
0: Yeah, it seemed to me for a couple of years there when, when this all first, you know, kind of started blowing up and like and when StatCast first announced like this, this, the basic spin data metrics and started putting that out there, there was a real emphasis on teams to pile right in on all the guys who had the highest spin rate. And you kind of wondered, like, is that is that going to be all it is? You know, is it just going to be who, who spins the ball most, turns out to get the ball to move the ball the most? And that that's obviously pretty quickly been, been disproven by, you know, the top teams out there. Um, you know, you can kind of do it either way. I mean, I guess like, you know, for a for a simplified approach to, you know, seam shifted wake, a coach can just say, Hey, just play with your grips. That's what I wonder if that's what's going on all off season here is just guys, just, you know, just with the soto and the edutronic camera up and they're just, you know, playing with their grips and to see, you know, what moves more, what moves less, which direction, um, you don't necessarily have to understand it to, you know, to, it, to, you know, great degree to scientific precision, to just, you know, play around and, and try to put the concept into practice. For certain, uh, he, you
1: know, the Red Sox signed uh, Garrett Richards this year, and he is, I think, 98th percentile in fastball spin. And he doesn't get great carry on his, his fastball, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because of the efficiency, because of, you know, a little bit of arm angle. Um, so you know, can that be fixed? You know, can he get that natural spin by changing the grip or the way it's coming out of his hand and will that make him a better pitcher? I don't, I don't think they've they've figured that out yet.
0: Yeah. And he's, um, he has that high spin, but he doesn't get whiffs with the fastball. And yet he also doesn't give up home runs off the fastball. Like that's definitely a pitch that has that seam shifted, wake effect where it doesn't move the way the the spin axis tells hitters that it should move. It looks like it should be kind of a, you know, a riser with tail, but instead it, it almost cuts a little bit um, and get gets out on the end of bats for people. So yeah. Do you, you know, do you, again, that's, that's the thing. Do you mess with that Um, or do you just kind of use what he has, but he's a perfect example because he was the, the spin rate darling through all of his arm injuries and all his arm trouble he was always the guy that if you talk to you know who's the fantasy sleeper of the year um, for pitchers, you know everyone always wanted to grab Garrett Richards in the late rounds
1: just to see. Sure, and you take a left-handed reliever like uh, Amir Garrett with the Reds. You know you may or may not know that the nasty slider he has is the movement suggests that he should get hit around. Mm-hmm. You know it does not have great break. It's got a bullet type of spin that is very deceptive, and he's got an arm angle where it's just a nasty nasty pitch and the metrics uh don't agree with that at all yeah so you know so if you weight weigh data you know too much and say okay you need to change the way you throw this to make it move more you probably turn a very good pitcher into a not very good pitcher yeah and you know taking a look at the um you know the, the
0: spin efficiency boards that Statcast has now where it's sort of like the 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 observed movement of the pitch and then there's the observed spin axis of the pitch. And, you know, when those diverge, you get those effects where you get a pitch that doesn't look like, doesn't look like that much, you know um, you know, in terms of like spin and movement, but just confuses hitters, you know, it just doesn't move the way the spin suggests it would. And it's, yeah, it seems like it's going to take the the game a while to, um, to sort of figure out how to, how to use all that information um, to its best effect. Um, But again, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the hope for Chris Fetter. Um, and I think we started out maybe hyping it up too much because we were really excited about that hire, but I, I've felt uh, like I've had to tell everyone, you know, he doesn't have any magic beans for everybody either. You know, it's, don't, don't expect Matt Boyd to come out and uh, win the Cy Young this year, just on the basis of, you know, getting taught some new pitch or something like that. It's not going to happen that way. Well, you know, it could happen, Brandon. Well, you never know. <laughs> we had that, we had that one six week stretch where it looked like it was possible a couple years ago. So,
1: and I'm as just, you know, he's a great guy to root for.
0: Yeah, he absolutely is. Uh, I guess that brings me to another set of Tigers pitchers um, who are all great guys to root for. And that's Daniel Norris, Michael Fulmer, and Matt Boyd, the um, the the Dave Dombrowski specials, you know, the, the last big deals that he completed before he uh, headed off to greener pastures in Boston. Um, got those three guys and the Tigers, you know, didn't trade them all when they were young, um, even when they were kind of having good seasons and getting a lot of trade interest. And I think For me, that kind of made me wonder at the time, like maybe this process won't take as long as it will or or as it has, um, because they've decided to to hang on to those guys and try to max out their value and trade or, you know, or whether or not they were they were hoping that they might be able to turn it around quicker than this. I'm not real sure. But here we find ourselves um, with, you know, Daniel Norris will, will be a free agent after this year. Um, the other two are going to re-free agency next year, and while Daniel Norris has kind of found himself this role in the bullpen and and might be a, a fairly valuable hard-throwing left-handed reliever to um, to someone this season um, at the trade deadline, the other two guys you know don't really have any value at all, and the Tigers really need something to uh, to break right for those guys. Um, do, I mean, do you have any 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 hopes or, or sense of whether or not something like that could happen for them?
1: Boy. I don't know if I have an answer to that question The you know, the Tigers have a lot of pitchers, you know, Alexander or Tyler, or Alexander is another Yeah. Uh, who have a chance to be solid big league pitchers, but really haven't, I guess they're already solid to a certain degree, but they really haven't ever taken that extra step. Spencer Turnbull is a guy that I'm fascinated with. I think he, he could, he might be the Tigers best pitcher this year yeah and and nobody at least to my knowledge really ever talks about him
0: yeah he's still wild you know and um and, and i think that holds people back because he he does kind of have these like five inning you know very inefficient outings but he's got great stuff and when he's on um yeah he's definitely the pet the best you know the tigers have right now um tyler alexander too is another one yeah i agree is interesting and he's um he's one that you know really seemed to benefit from Juan Nieves, um when Nieves was working at triple A Toledo, like they, they just made a few little adjustments to his delivery uh, built a little more crossfire in there. And other than that, it seemed, you know, much more of like a, a mentality thing, you know, that Nievis was working with him on, you know, like you know, the art of setting hitters up and also how to, how to just sort of course, correct in an outing. Um, and no one really thought Tyler Alexander was going to be a major league pitcher. He looked like the type of guy you stash in Toledo for three years and, call him up as your sixth or seventh um, starting
1: pitcher and yeah you know maybe that is all he is but he did strike out nine guys in a row last year. (laughs) Right and as chance would have it I was listening to the Tigers game on my phone walking around uh, Cambridge Mass that it was a Sunday afternoon and I remember thinking after the fifth one I said wow this is pretty cool Mm -hmm. and then then when the next inning started it was seven it was like what the bleep is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that third Dan, inning. Dan Dickerson was uh, really pumped uh, on the broadcast. Oh yeah. Oh, Dan Dickerson had to be so excited just
0: to have something to be excited about too. But that was uh, that was a really fun, just kind of out of the blue performance. I remember kind of walking in in the middle of it and thinking they were showing um, you know some some highlights or you know replaying something, and it was like my dad was just like, no, 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 he's uh,
1: he's got six now. <laughs> so yeah, you don't see that too often. No, crazy, fail-win. crazy, crazy things happen in baseball. I was at Fenway Park uh, back when Pedro Martinez struck out the side in the first inning on nine pitches. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that was Pedro Martinez. It's something you very, very rarely see. And I should add the side comment that that is striking out the side. If you give up base runners uh, in an inning, you did not strike out the side. Oh, that's the hill I will always die on. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah,
0: I feel the same way. But uh, yeah, everyone seems to have moved on to just like, oh, as long as it's three strikeouts. But no, that's not, you know, that's not what it's about.
1: But crazy fun things like that is what what makes baseball great. If the Tigers aren't going to be good this year, which they are not, there are going to be these little moments sprinkled in, in just random games that make you think, oh, wow, I didn't expect that. Yeah. Yeah. And and
0: sometimes it is, it's the odd guy who you don't, you know, I remember Doug Pfister, um, you know, I think he struck out 15 in a game back in 2011, not a strikeout artist and just, you know, in a, on a staff with Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, you know, just ripped off one of the, one of the craziest, most dominant, you know, performances ever just out of the blue. So yeah, it is one
1: of the great things about baseball. Absolutely. And with Pfister uh, coming up, uh, when I talked to Alex Avila a month or so ago for Fangraphs Audio, he brought up Pfister as a classic example of a pitcher who didn't want any information. Ah. You know, he is the type of guy that Chris Fetter would go up and give him some of this analytic detail and Pfister would look at him and say, and he would probably shake his head and say, no, I just want the ball, you know, let me pitch.
0: And so many of these things do seem to kind of run in cycles, um, you know, to reference the, um, the interview you did with Jonathan scope about, um, you know, two strike approach, you know, th- you know, that's the kind of thing that has been talked about in baseball forever. Like two strike approach is, is you know, a traditional thing that you, that you would think of, but, um, but for years, we haven't really heard that much about it. You didn't hear managers necessarily, you know, you know, sometimes managers would still emphasize it because obviously they, they have to teach it, but it's not the kind of thing that, that gets talked about. And it feels like, um, feels like there is a little bit of burnout in terms of like just pure metrics and people are starting to kind of, kind of think about, um, you know, some of the more just finer aspects of the game that just have, have to do with, you know, moving runners around or preventing runners from moving around just, just the, those basic fundamentals.
1: Right. And the crazy thing about Jonathan scope is, is he has hit 20 home runs in his career. <laughs> it went with two strikes on him. Yeah. So his, his batting average and OBP with two strikes is similar to league average it's actually they're actually both a little bit below but his slug is higher because he will occasionally run into a pitch uh and not on three two very oddly you know he does not hit home runs on three two counts he hits home runs when he's behind in the count with two strikes so maybe he really doesn't want to change his swing
0: yeah. And you know, does that, that mean that maybe he needs to be more aggressive <clears throat> earlier in counts, you know, because when he finally gets into defense mode where he has to swing, sometimes he does more damage than he thinks, or maybe hit or maybe pitchers become more predictable sometimes in certain situations like that. Even when it's O2, you know, you know what they're going to do. Well, I think Jonathan
1: Scope's problem is that he is too aggressive.
0: Yeah, that's you know, usually you know. been a, Yeah.
1: Right. His, his, uh, his, you know, his O swing rate, you know, swinging outside the zone is is just really high and a swing rate is high. So, you know, that that's the issue. You know, he's, he has two strikes on him a lot because he is swinging at pitches that weren't strikes. Yeah. And yeah. that you can't just fix that. Very few players, especially at his age, he's, uh, what, 27 maybe? Yeah. 20. You know, players like that don't suddenly become Joey Votto. Yeah. You know, you can tone it down a little, but he is always going to be aggressive. That's, that's who he is.
0: Yeah, it just seems like that, like, you know, your, your visual acuity or, you know, whatever combination between that and your, you know, your understanding of of what pitchers are trying to do does seem to get set in pretty early. Um, Just about every, and I've only talked to a few compared to yourself, but I've never had a major leaguer tell me that they thought plate discipline could really be taught. Like there, there are just certain things that you can do to help a guy, you know, maybe see the ball better or, or anticipate what, what a pitcher might do but that but that tracking mechanism just seems to be something that you either have or you don't
1: for sure i know that they did testing uh several years ago i guess a lot of teams probably still do it now uh and i forget the technology but uh mookie Betts oh yeah uh rate, rated like top of the charts in pitch recognition and this wasn't in a baseball uh atmosphere it's more like video game mm-hmm. you know his reaction and recognition was well, Mookie bets like that you would expect. Yeah, was that a Theo Epstein
0: story? Was that a Theo Epstein experiment? Because I seem to remember him being tied to that somehow. It was something that they were playing with, with putting those guys through, yeah, visual acuity testing with lights on both sides of
1: their eyes and a helmet and all that sort of thing. Something like that, right. So, you know, it's an interesting way to scout.
0: I'm kind of interested, too, in the... um. I've talked to um, RJ Anderson who writes for CBS sports about this a little bit, but about the use of, you know, we're just, you know, trying to get more kids into, into baseball in general. Um, And a lot of the time it doesn't necessarily feel like um, MLB in particular is doing that much about it. Um, I don't know. I I don't know for sure if that's, if that's accurate, but you know, we see the minor league contraction um, less, less attendance and, and less, you know, maybe interest in the game among kids but trying to find ways to use, you know, video games, both to get kids interested, but also as training mechanisms, because, you know, it's just hard to get lots of at bats. It's hard to get, get those reps in, in, in real life. And, you know, baseball to a kid, you know, maybe especially of, especially of these times is, um, you know, it's slow. You only get up to the plate, you know, three, four times a game, if hitting's what you want to do, um, you know, it's not always great, but if you can just, you know, stand in a cage with a helmet on, and just take pitches all day, maybe, maybe that kind of thing helps you. So I expect to see a lot more of that kind of technology starting to get into it because it really feels like um, pitchers have gotten the the best of the technology over the last five or six years, and hitters are going to need some help.
1: <laughs> no, I think hitters need, need a, a lot of help. Uh, and you know, the minor league contraction hurt a lot of Tigers. People it, you know throughout baseball, but I think it hurt a lot of Tigers players, you know, like the Riley Greens of the world. Yeah. It might. No, not might. It, it did. Uh, I, I guess Michigan, you know, fans in Michigan did get a bit of a treat with the Whitecaps moving up to high A. Yeah. So they're going to see a little better quality baseball. And maybe some of the players that they saw two years ago in, in low A, you know, may get stalled in, uh, in high A two years later.
0: Yeah. Well, it does, yeah. I mean, are you, are you just thinking that there's going to be a lot of players um, sort of forced you know, up faster than they would be because there isn't, um, you know, short season Connecticut anymore. For example,
1: I mean that's that's the tricky thing, Brandon. I don't know if, if guys are going to get forced to certainly to to West Michigan. I think some players may end up there who would have been in Erie this year in normal circumstances. Yeah, but I am concerned about the players who are too good for the GCL who are who are not good enough uh, for A ball for low a, they, they don't have that interim step. So, uh, you know, I have no idea what's, what's going to happen there. You know, people I've talked to in baseball said, Oh, we'll work our way through it. That's not a big issue, mm-hmm. but I think they're concerned.
0: Yeah. Cause those were the leagues where a lot of times, you know, the, the college players that came out of the draft w- would, you know, would start right out. And that was sort of like the introduction, introduction to like, okay, you're, you're a pro player. Now you're going to live on the road. You're playing against other players of that same caliber. Whereas now the choice is you're going to play a bunch of teenagers, um, you know, who just maybe came over from overseas um, and, and are just kind of getting their feet wet. Or you're going to go straight to, you know, Class A ball, which I guess now is the Florida State League um, for the Tigers. Um, and, you know, and have to face like a, a better caliber player than maybe with a lot more experience than maybe you would otherwise. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be weird to see how some of those things play out this year. No, oh, a lot of changes. Um, all right. One, la- one last thing I just wanted to hit on is, um, just kind of, you know, with, um, the new, you know, we're going to be negotiating a new CBA next year. Obviously the labor relations over the past year haven't been particularly great. Um, you know, we, we've had a whole bunch of scandals again, this off season from, you know, what's going on with Mickey Callaway um, to Kevin Mather, the CEO of the Mariners, um, making a whole bunch of unfortunate comments about a couple of his top prospects. Um, and I see a lot of players, you know, recognizing those things more so than I, than I used to, like on Twitter and elsewhere, like retweeting those things, you know, making clear that they're paying attention to that, to that, how, I mean, how are you feeling about just the overall state of the game? Um, you know, one year out from having to go through a, a, C, a CBA negotiation and, you know, potentially a lot of strife involved.
1: Is skeptical spelled with a K or a C? <laughs> I, I, think think it's, K. I think it's a K, right? Yeah, I think so. Right. And that's what we need to worry about come CBA time that we don't end up with a K. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's a very bad pun on my part. No, I got you, though. (laughs) Yep. No, I think that's a real
0: possibility. Okay. Yeah. I
1: I think a strike is a very strong possibility. You know, that there's a lot of acrimony. You know, that's a C. I believe in acrimony. (laughs) A, A lot of acrimony. And I don't really know how it's going to get fixed. It, we have a situation now where the GH in the national league is being held up as a bargaining chip and it's being held up by a side that wants to have it. Yeah. Which, which is absurd. Yep. But so they don't want to give
0: it because they think it's, it's valuable, even though the, the value of it is somewhat questionable, I think, but yeah, anything that, that the, the league or the, or that the players seem to want is going to be considered a bargaining chip now. And I guess that's, that's true in reverse. I mean, we saw the, just the, the abject failure of the, uh, the negotiations last June, um, trying to get the season started. That was, uh, that was a pretty grim portent of what's
1: to come, I'm afraid. I mean, to a certain degree, what we have right now are, are the owners are the Republicans and the players are the Democrats. You know, maybe that's a terrible analogy, but the acrimony I think is strong enough and the ideology is not you know, completely off base there. Uh, you know, the sides just don't want to agree. Yeah. And they just seem to be going in in
0: even further in in the opposite direction. I mean, we're seeing the owners in the league kind of lean into like, you know, they've got all these sports gambling partnerships. Um, They're contracting the minor leagues. They've taken control of of minor league baseball. It just feels like there's a, a, a big like squeeze going on that they're trying to sort of wring every last dollar out of this without a lot of regard for the future. Um, I guess this kind of plays into your analogy as far as like management versus versus union. Um, And yeah, it's it's just sort of hard to see where there's where there's common ground because there also, yeah, there seems to be a lot of like personal disrespect um, sort of being revealed, you know, behind the scenes, Um, you know, a a lot of, you know, a lot of front offices feeling like they're the game um, as opposed to the players and the fans. And, And I don't really hear anybody talking about the fans, but yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's not, it's not looking great. Right. Well, I guess my closing thought, uh, Brandon, and I, this is probably going negative, is suppose the Tigers have an absolutely fantastic year, exceed all expectations. You know, all of the new players, you know, have matched their career years, the Grossmans and, you know, as such, you know, the young pitchers are suddenly Mark Fidrich, and the team, you know, either sneaks into the playoffs or at least comes, comes close uh, fans are going to go into the off season. Just absolutely giddy is, Hey, our tigers are back. We're really good. We're young. We're exciting. And then. Yeah. Bang a strike. No season next year. Can you, you know, that's slap me for, you know, slap me virtually for even suggesting that. Well, I mean, Re- reach, reach through the screen. No.
0: All right, here we go. Ow. <laughs> yep. Yep. I uh, you know, got to, got to face the possibility. We got to enjoy the season while we can, but, uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about that. Uh, I'm worried about that situation indeed, especially because, you know, for the tigers, like we're in this rebuild, you've already kind of wasted, you know, four or five years in terms of like, you know, fan base generation. You know, there's, there's a lot of kids who are 15 and 16 now who have never really seen the tigers be good. Um, I worry about that with every fan base going through these rebuilding cycles, but then yeah, to, um, to give anybody hope and then to have it taken away would be even worse. So for now, I guess we'll just have to um, we'll just have to keep our hopes to ending this pandemic and um, getting on with um, some some form of normal life again.
1: <laughs> All right, and as negative as suddenly uh, I push this, we should probably end the uh, the podcast as well.
0: Yep, I think that's probably a wrap. Well, thank you very
1: much for joining me.
0: Um, it's great to talk to you. Um, have a good week and um, enjoy the season. Thank you, Brandon. Take care. Goodbye.